0: Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity and yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. In this first episode, we'll each introduce ourselves, talk a little bit about the work that we do in the world, and try to answer the question, if yoga is supposed to be so peaceful, why are y'all so angry all the time? We wanna talk about spiritual bypass and why the yoga teachings are not just about love and light. We also discuss a little bit about finding your lane when it comes to yoga and social justice by honoring your body, knowing yourself, and getting beyond shame and confusion. We'll also share plans with you for this podcast going forward. Thanks for joining us, here we go.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Uh, I'm Jeevana Heyman and I'm here with my co-host, Amber Carnes.
0: Hey, Hey, (laughs) what's up?
1: Um, How are you doing?
0: Great, glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be doing this with you and um, to be launching today Uh, I thought we could start by introducing ourselves, maybe talking a little bit about our work. um, And yeah, so people can get to know us a little bit more. Um, Do you want to start? Do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? Sure. Should I share share embarrassing facts that I know about you?
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's that kind of podcast. Everybody will tune in for the juicy details that never emerge. Um, (laughs) Sure, I could go first. Um, so, hey y'all, my name is Amber Carnes. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I uh, let me see, I'll give you a couple of facts. I'm 38 years old. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, with my husband Jimmy and our dog Garnet, uh, who is a Boston Terrier. Um, I'm a yoga teacher and the founder of Body Positive Yoga. Um, I train yoga teachers to make their teaching more equitable and accessible. And I do that through continuing education and trainings from, you know, 10 hours to 200 hours. And I also run retreats and workshops for people who want to make peace with their bodies. A lot of my work is around body image, um, especially through the lens of the yoga teachings and how we can um, use our practice to not only like feel better about our own bodies but really get perspective on how uh, our own body image work like plays into social justice and the larger systems of oppression that set us up to be messed up about bodies in the first place. So my work is a lot about combining the yoga teachings, um, intersectional feminism, a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy, like pulling tools from all these different modalities and, um, and topics to be able to, um, get to a place where we, uh, we feel more comfortable on our own skin. We feel more confident to be able to move into the world and make the world a more just place. Um, so, uh, I have been teaching since 2010 and practicing, um, since my early twenties. And it's very exciting to be able to, uh, to bring this work to the world and to be part of this Accessible Yoga movement. So I started working with Jeevana a few years back. Um, I'm one of the Accessible Yoga trainers and also a board member for the Accessible Yoga organization. And so um, I just really felt aligned with this work and the impact that it makes to make the world, uh, the yoga world and the wider world, um, a more equitable place where folks feel like they can belong and Really, I think lately, you know, I'm I'm making this connection uh, more than ever. Um, I've been building community since I was a kid um, in lots of different arenas, from punk and hardcore scene to independent arts and crafts to yoga to entrepreneurship, um, all those spaces that I've been in the different places my career has taken me. But I've really been focusing lately on this um, concept that, in order to, like, set up the conditions that we need to really practice yoga, like, to start that journey of turning inward so that we can remember the truth of who we are and, um, and show up in the world in a way that honors our own humanity and the humanity of others, like, we really have to feel safe before we start that, and I think one of the ways that we can most, Find that personal power, that personal safety, um, a place that we can start to, like, take those hard looks at ourselves um, so that we can relate better to ourselves and to one another and really practice this, this yoga, all the yoga, not just the stretching part of the yoga. And we can build that safety and community. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons why I was so drawn to accessible yoga and to the work that Jivana does, because it is really individual work that's also based in community. And I think that, you know, we are seeing uh, right now, like with the state of the world and this sort of like political and social justice awakening for so many people, it seems like that folks are looking more and more for tools to do this sort of like personal growth and transformation. So, um, maybe i'll just pause there that seems to be like the direction that my work is going more and more even though the way that community looks uh has changed a lot in the past couple of months and so yeah. i'm excited to be moving forward with your with your help and sort of uh guiding yeah. each other along this path do you want to Yeah. we've connected for, in a for, lot of we're, ways we're,
1: yeah we're really helping each other and that's what this project is about i think is about um kind of combining forces to create a platform um, for these conversations and also for the new Accessible Yoga Training School that we're launching, which we're going maybe talk about a little bit later. And also I just wanna say our theme for the, for our talk today is around that connection between yoga and social justice. Um, but maybe I could um, I can share a little bit about my background too. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate you saying your pronouns. I mean, it's so important that we do that. So mine are he and him. And, um, and we could talk about that maybe another time too, like importance of pronouns. I, I live in uh, Santa Barbara, California with my husband, Matt, and um, I have two teenagers, uh, Charlie and Violet. They're 18 and 14. Um, and I'll probably get to talk about my kids later too. I have a lot to say about that. It's really, really huge and challenging part of my life. Um. Yeah. And we have two dogs too, May and Blue. Um, you may hear them barking in the background. And let's see, I've been teaching a long time actually. I I finished a formal teacher training in 1995, but I actually had started training. Um, I started a yoga teacher training in 1991 uh, with my first teacher, Kazuko Onodera, who really took me under her wing and, and was an amazing influence in my life. You know, really taught me early about integrating yoga into life and how there's not a separate thing you know she taught me how to cook how to garden like we spent a lot of time uh just hanging out together it was really incredible in fact even my my grandmother um practiced and taught me yoga when i was a very young child she was like an older hippie and was practicing in the um in the 60s you know and i was born in 1967 so um to be honest, some of my earliest memories are actually practicing in, with her, or just watching her practice. like Cause I think it was so unusual in my life to like, wait, she's standing on her head, you know, like every morning she was doing headstands. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other yeah, big part of my life is AIDS activism. Cause I came out, came out of the closet, like I don't know what year that was, but like in the 80s, and right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic, and you know the gay community, we were just totally dealing with AIDS Ill- illness and death. And you know, I was out on the streets marching, getting arrested. Um, you know, that was a huge part of my life and what I was focused on for you know, and still am. It's just that I, I was kind of using yoga personally for my for my own self care during that time, and then I kind of realized when I finished that teacher training in 1995, that I could share yoga with my community. And so I started right away with teaching classes for people with HIV and AIDS. And then those classes really just expanded. And I started including people with different disabilities and teaching all over the San Francisco Bay Area. And then accessible yoga really, that name came in around 20, I don't know what year that was. I'm so bad with dates. A while a later. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like, er, well, it was like early on. I, I just realized that, Oh, cause I was, I was leading 200 hour trainings. That was like my job. Actually. I was, my job was actually a gardener. I was a professional gardener. And then I was leading 200 hour trainings as well to try to make a living. And, um, I love teacher training by the way, which is another theme. I just love that world of teacher training. And, um, Anyway, can you hear my husband? I don't hear.
0: <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> um, I, um,
1: but I realized that my students with disabilities really couldn't participate in the 200-hour trainings I was leading, so I, I created an accessible yoga training that would allow them to become yoga teachers, and I think that motivation came really from two things. One is to um, empower people to use the yoga teachings and really dive deep into them. And I feel like a lot of that's not available for people, people just in regular classes. And so teacher training is a special opportunity. Um, And also just wanting to change the, the, what is it called? Like change the the system itself. It felt wrong. Like it already felt broken to me that the 200 hour yoga training program was not accessible. Like that was already a, Mm -hmm. a big concern for me. Um, And I was also leading trainings, helping teachers work with people with disabilities and expand their skills. Um, And then about eight years ago, I moved down here to to Santa Barbara and I felt really lost and overwhelmed by like starting over. Like we moved for family reasons and I was just like not wanting to do the whole marketing thing again. You've probably heard this story so many times, Amber. I'll make it fast. But basically now just like great. the conference came out of that. I was just like, I realized that other teachers must feel the way I do, which is they feel isolated. They're on their own. We, ha- as yoga teachers, generally we have to be like experts at marketing and accounting and contract law and all these things. And I'm just like <laughs> with no support, you know, no support really. And I felt like the organizations that existed at that point didn't really support me the way I wanted or needed. And so I had this idea, which is a longer story, but basically it was to have a conference. And so we had a conference, I think in 2015 was the first one. And that's where that's where the organization really like um, came together. the community came together and lo- lots of people volunteered. I mean, really, we had it was all volunteer run. It was kind of incredible, actually. And that's how the nonprofit really got moving. Yeah, it's, so cool. it, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. I feel like, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about <clears throat> how life, because I'm older than you, but I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> I think about how life is like almost, and maybe it's just my mind, but it's almost like, feels like different lives. You know, it's just almost like there was like my youth and then there was kind of like young adulthood and like mm-hmm. middle age and it just feels like different, like, I don't know. Like, um, I think it's a luxury of getting older in a way of having that, like like my AIDS activist time and it's just coming up for me so much these days with uh, black lives matter and getting out and protesting again. I was just like, wow, I was having like deja vu and, Mm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: and also a little bit of being traumatized again, like being remembered by, I mean, remembering all the, the loss.
0: um, Yeah.
1: You know, it was really, I lost so many people.
0: Yeah.
1: Unbelievable. So many, it's almost like, there was a whole generation of gay men mostly that were like my friends and my mentors. Cause I, I'm, I was slightly younger than the average age of the gay men that died. I mean, it was really a, it was, I'm like on the low end of that generation age wise. There were mostly guys that were just like five years older than me. And they were, you know, like when you're, I don't know, when you're 18 and 20 years old, like those are the guys, they're like, teaching you how to be an adult like these are the people that were my friends and boyfriends who kind of just taught me like how to be a man how to be a person in the world you know and uh, i don't know how to explain it other than that It was just like and then they're gone it's just so weird Mm -hmm. it's like i can't even imagine sometimes i try to imagine what the world would be like if they were here like the kind of the contributions these people would have made they're just incredible you know like just hundreds of thousands of gay men, if not more. I mean, millions have died of AIDS, but I mean, that that community in particular is just completely devastated.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, my, that's my sad story.
0: <laughs> no, it's a powerful story. And I don't know, I think that <clears throat> many of us probably have that experience that become involved in activism work that oftentimes the thing that, you know, generates like the most light or the most work or the most change is often like starts with a wound or like something painful or a tragedy that we go through, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's really encouraging to hear that like, I think what came, like your start in activism has grown and shifted and that like, like you said, you know, these different lives that we've sort of let, you know, I had my, my teenage years and the, yeah. you know, and then the, like my marketing career and my, so I know what you mean. It almost seems like, oh, well, I was a different person then, but all that experience like goes together to like end up in the work that we're doing now. So anyway, yeah. I, uh, and I, I appreciate I love you love sharing you
1: about, I love what you said about community building. Like I feel like that's what I love about you. And, and I think why you and I are so connected in our work is like that. I think we both see that, um, and I, and I saw it in the AIDS activism. I was part of ACT UP San Francisco, actually ACT UP New York originally, then ACT UP San Francisco. And I learned early on, like the power of community. Like we, I don't know how successful we were, but we did make an impact. And I felt like it was this complete grassroots movement of people who just wanted change and facing, you know, governments that were just not paying attention, um, that were act- they're actively fighting against us and I felt like i um, so moved by the community of people that I was involved with. And I, and I saw in yoga that, you know, yoga is also a communal practice. So it's, it's, yeah. there's a real paradox there, you know, that yoga is so personal. Like I turn within when I sit and practice or when I do my, when I do my poses, I'm alone on my mat, but it's like so much more powerful to do it in a group or to even do it even now, like not physically in a group, but at least connecting with others who are practicing mm-hmm. and then bigger than that, like knowing there's a community of practice out there. It just supports me in, in my work, like both spiritually and like politically, like in terms of the, the work we do, like to know that the accessible yoga community is out there like that. There's so many other people that support this connection between yoga and social justice keeps inspiring me because sometimes it's a little disappointing. Like I feel like, in the capitalist system we're in sometimes it seems like success is only measured by celebrity or
0: money or um, followers or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you got a lot of followers, but uh, (laughs) no, I just, yeah. Like, I'm just like, I can't use those measurements. Like they, well, first of all, I could try, but it's, it's just, it's depressing too. And um, it's like, I'm not, like a thin young white woman so like for me i mean sure i have a privilege just being a white man but in terms of like the yoga celebrity world this was never going to work for me anyway um and that's okay like it's not it's actually not an effective measurement of success it's it's actually <clears throat> a lie it's a real lie yeah, and it's I, dangerous
0: and i think that we definitely have seen that illustrated especially like at the beginning of the pandemic when it was very quickly obvious that everyone had to cancel everything and we weren't going to be teaching in person again and it was really amazing to see you know the accessible yoga community globally like step up to help each other like i saw so much like peer mentorship and sort of like crowdsourcing of information and people that were just willing to like to jump in and get worked on and support one another because we didn't really have you know, some organization that was stepping up or some leader that, you know, like all these people that we maybe as a a wider yoga industry or community or however we want to refer to it, like yoga in America, I think elevates these sort of celebrity people that line up with like the dominant culture beauty standards or the measurements of success like you talked about. And so those people are not standing up or stepping in to say like, this is where we're going. Here's how we can help each other. And it was amazing to see like this community of, well, I don't know, sometimes I think of us as like the underdogs or the yoga misfits, like everybody that doesn't feel like they belong in these sort of mainstream wellness spaces or doesn't see themselves reflected on the cover of Yoga Journal or whatever it is that we came together to really support one another. I think it's one of the like the beautiful things about this community. So yes. Yeah. And
1: and I actually think that's, that's a great example of how yoga is social justice. Actually, I think, um, going back to our theme, like that effort to build community to me is a yoga practice, because I think, I think the piece of yoga of the yoga teachings that gets lost so quickly is around ego. And, Mm -hmm. um, to me, like some of the most important, you know, teachings from the yoga sutras or the Bhagavad Gita really are about working with your mind. And, and it's not that ego is bad, but it's about just trying to get the ego, um, in, in balance. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a very tricky, complicated thing to do, but I think, you know, Western culture tends to push us towards ego an egotistical place where we're getting that attention for the self, right? Like, like you said, the money or the followers or whatever. And I think that's really, um, like antithetical to yoga that's like the opposite of what yoga actually is teaching which is to not focus on the self but to serve others and and again to serve in a way it's still selfish right but that service is is helping us in the end it's actually allowing us to be more connected with others and more open and more loving and experience love more in our lives so i think there is benefit to it but i think it also like dovetails beautifully with social justice which is about which is Social justice, to me, means making sure that everyone shares those same rights. That like nobody is left behind. That like basic human rights are universal and they're applied universally. And um, that justice of all, you know, out of all the rights we have, justice especially is fair and equal. And that's not that's not the case. And so if people aren't experiencing that, if they you know, as long as some people are being marginalized and harmed. Then I can't be just all peaceful alone in my little bubble. Like it just doesn't work. Like to me, yoga and the, the service focus of yoga means that I I have to be focused on the the, I don't know what the word is, like the well-being of everyone mm-hmm. in order for myself to be well. Like I can't, I can't be well if others are not. And that's been a struggle for me all along, like through my life like I said, through my AIDS activism, like really trying to understand how do I balance my own self-care and my sense of peace in my life with the work that I see that needs to happen out there and the change that I feel like I, I, I could be involved with making. Um, but I, I really think we need to highlight that in yoga as a huge piece of our practice. It's not about, to me, yoga is not about going into that cave and meditating for 10 years by yourself or getting on your mat alone and spending your whole life there without then taking what you learn and what you find and using it to to support other people or serve the community. There has to be this like outer connection of some kind um, for it to be service, for it to be yoga. You know what I mean? Right.
0: Yeah, I do. I think that, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, well, you and I have both dealt with this is when we talk about, the connection between yoga and social justice or how we can use our practice as a form of activism that oftentimes will get pushed back from other people in yoga circles. Why are you so angry? Why are you so negative? Like, can't we just love each other? Can't we just focus on peace? And what about Ahimsa? And like all of those, like I noticed sort of, um, yoga folks using like this yoga terminology to like hey quiet down over there talking about all those uncomfortable problems and conversations and so i wondered if we could just talk about that for a minute and about spiritual bypass like let's define what that is and and talk about this notion of like yoga is supposed to be peaceful why are you all so angry okay
1: (laughs) I yeah i totally agree i mean that that that's exactly spiritual bypassing which i mean Spiritual bypassing is basically that, you know, using the spiritual teachings to bypass painful emotions um, or painful situations that you don't want to face. That
0: that sounds like what? (laughs) Just for everybody that's listening. That sounds like the, the, you know, Let's just focus on the positive, love and light, just vibrate higher. And, you know, if we all vibrated higher, racism wouldn't be a problem because we just love each other. That's what a spiritual bypass sounds like.
1: Yeah. In a way, it's like the spiritual equivalent of saying all lives matter. Right. It's actually, I mean, yeah, of course all lives matter. But the point of Black Lives Matter is like all lives don't matter until Black Lives Matter, right? It's like about trying to see that. We are all one, but actually there's also difference in our experiences. And I think that's where people get confused in yoga. There's a, uh, a paradox and people have a really hard time holding a paradox in their mind. <laughs> but the yeah. paradox is that, yeah, spiritual truth is we have, we all share the same spirit. That's true. Like according to the yoga teachings, right? We all have that atman inside of us, but actually yoga is a dualistic philosophy that says that there's two things nature is different and in nature we have completely different experiences our bodies are different our minds are different um, and our life experiences are extraordinarily different based on a lot of situations and that's what where privilege comes in is you have to look at you know um where are, how close are you in proximity to the power structure where you are and where you live right like um there is a there's a story that came out in the news yesterday i can't stop thinking about it, about this um teenage girl um, who was acting out and she was on p- pay- parole or something, I don't know, not parole, but like she was getting, she was in the system already, but then mm-hmm. she didn't go to school and um, she didn't finish online schooling. And so the a judge put her in juvenile detention <laughs> just for not doing her online schooling. And it was so upsetting to me because, you know, my daughter's the same age and she's really struggled a lot and she's actually in a uh, residential treatment center. But like my daughter did a lot of stuff that could have easily gotten her into juvenile detention. But I think because I'm white and I know how to work the system, and this other, this girl's black, by the way, Mm -hmm. that one that got into juvenile detention. Her name is Grace and there's a petition online for her. But um, I just feel like that because of my privilege, I knew how to work the system and get my daughter into a treatment center rather than into juvenile detention. And like that, Mm that experience that I have shows my privilege and, and that's not something that a lot of people have, you know, have who are black in America or, um, you know, for other reasons too. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of ways that we don't have um, privilege because of gender identity or because of sexuality, body size, like there's a lot of things that contribute to lack, loss of privilege. hmm Anyway, so spiritual bypassing, which was your comment, I think it's just focusing on that kind of deeper spiritual spiritual teaching about oneness without really facing the reality of life. And, and that to me, an integrated spirituality embraces both things and embraces that duality of, you know, that, you know, that on one level, yes, we're one, but actually the experience is completely different. And to yeah. deny that is, is actually, to deny that actually is, is harmful. It actually creates more harm and more injustice so it's actually da- it's a very dangerous um approach in spiritual teachings there's many ways actually that spiritual teachings can be used in a dangerous way and i think that's something we need to cover in this in this podcast as well i mean i don't mean to be negative but i think we have to be a little more alert to that you know cult dynamics and abuse in yoga it's been horrific racism yeah. And the way that yoga community is not responding to racism right now is just kind of horrific um conspiracy theories around covid you know that i think are kind of rampant in uh spiritual communities is another way that it's dangerous there's actually real harm done i think when people use spiritual teachings to avoid the, the reality that we're actually living in this is real like this natural world is real and our experiences are real And just because you have a spiritual awakening doesn't deny that. It doesn't deny the realness of that. In fact, I think a real spiritual awakening is, it means you're able to integrate both. Yep. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think it's really, I love talking about this this way uh, with you because I see parallels to what you're saying with, um, you know, that concept of intersectionality and social justice work, right? Where, yes, we all are, you know, working toward feminism, or we're working toward anti-racism, or we're working toward eliminating fat phobia, or whatever that social justice issue that we're looking at. But as you know, we might all be white people working toward that goal, or women working toward that goal, but we don't all have the same experiences. And so I think like, really acknowledging, you know, I think the powerful part of what yoga can offer to us when it comes to social justice is that you know we can have these individual awakenings and awareness and like so many people are coming into awareness right now that a shift needs to happen but it also mm. gives us the tools to do that and like you've talked about this you know duality that like we don't sit well with duality dominant culture like literally conditions us to think in black and white terms yeah. Um, it teaches us that there's always a simple problem and a simple solution. When in wow. reality, that's not the yeah. case and we all have different lived experience. And so yoga, I think really gives us those tools for sitting both with the discomfort of mm. how making a shift to your worldview, to your perspectives, to the ways that you understand like, Oh, I've been parts of these systems of oppression and I benefit from them in ways I uphold them in certain ways. like, Getting to the place where you can look at that and sit with that uncomfortable truth and determine how you want to take action, like yoga gives us the technology to both like deal with those uncomfortable feelings in the body, which are definitely going to come up, and also to understand ourselves so that we can like relate to other people in a clearer and more, I think... Uh, humane, uh, in a way that honors our humanity, like both our own and acknowledges that we're interdependent and that we're connected. And um, But I, I feel like, and maybe this is something you've noticed too, that a lot of people who have practiced or even taught yoga for a long time don't actually like use those tools for that purpose. That oftentimes yoga could be like it's changed so many of our lives in so many ways. And you know, for me personally, like I didn't talk about this a lot at the beginning, but one of the ways that yoga has always shown up in my life has been, you know in making peace with my body. Um, this is a podcast, so I'll just say like i'm a, I'm a fat woman, I'm in a larger body, and I have been since I was a teenager. And so yoga spaces, wellness spaces, anything that's like adjacent to fitness had always been very fraught where yoga was a different experience for me when I was able to really like get in touch with my body, learn to trust it like as an adult for the first time, like learn about what this meat suit is like all about (laughs) and how it's related to my mind and all of that. But like, if I just let the practice stop there, if the Mm. practice is just about like making myself personally feel better or like making myself personally okay with my self-esteem or like whatever it is i think that a doesn't really honor the roots of like what this practice is about but b is a huge missed opportunity to like if i can get in a place where i feel more confident more you know comfortable to be able to have difficult conversations or face difficult things i can take that stuff off the mat off my personal practice and really use that to make make a difference and make change in the world. And starting with my very own yoga community, because the fact is that the the problems that we see in society, all the things that we've been talking about from racism to ableism, homophobia, all that stuff, it shows up in society. It shows up in our institutions, our yoga studios, our classes, our businesses, and in our individual relationships. And so I think being able to widen our perspective and really start to see the way that these systems of oppression operate, not just as like individual mean people having mean thoughts, right? Like that's sometimes what I think, like how we think racism shows up is like, oh, it's, you know, someone wearing a MAGA hat or it's somebody who's saying all lives matter. It's not always just that, that we have to see these systems and the ways that we participate and how we can start to, build that awareness so that we can take individual action that leads to this like bigger collective shift and i mm-hmm. think yoga gives us so many tools to be able to do that um if we just pay attention and apply it
1: yeah i love that i think that's essential like I, I mean that point is incredibly powerful to me the idea that the teachings actually give us tools to be able to sit with the discomfort that comes from not only seeing our own pain and and really embracing that, the pain that we've experienced, but the pain that others are experiencing as well, which I think actually embracing the pain of ourselves and others actually opens our heart. And that that's the goal of yoga. Like, I feel like there's this kind of misunderstanding that spiritual enlightenment is a personal thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's true. I, I just, I don't see it that way anymore. I think enlightenment is a communal experience. and And so, I, I, I think there's a misunderstanding like people come to yoga, they find, they find like a, a refuge there. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in their practice, like find this relief, you know, to whatever their, to their own personal suffering and it ends there. And then they actually get defensive about that and they protect it. Um, but I think that's kind of limited thinking. It doesn't really go to the, I think a little to the next level mm-hmm. of, of practice which to me is actually how does that experience that you're having of removing your suffering or of seeing your pain allow you to then connect with others that are experiencing pain or just acknowledge the suffering that is happening around you and it can be hard to do it can be hard to open yourself to that to the reality of suffering that's happening And instead we kind of hide and turn in on ourselves and protect ourselves but again, because that's what we've had to do. Like, and I, I don't mean to blame anyone. I think it's kind of a, a reaction. And also maybe it's a trauma reaction, right? Like we turn in, um, like, uh, fight, flight, freeze.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I had another thought about that. Oh, um, I think, you know, it's, um, well, I don't know, but I, I had another thought that's left in my mind. I'll come back. This is something I'm excited about. I just want to say, like, I'm working on a new book and this is exactly what the topic is. Like, I'm really, I could talk about this for hours. I don't know how long we're going to have here today, but like, I'm so interested in reframing the yoga teachings as social justice rather than as personal spiritual awakening. Like that's really my current goal in life is to like, try and share that concept with people. Like, and it's not new it's not a new idea i think we can see that in like the teachings of gandhi and um there is a history within yoga of social justice by connecting to i mean like gandhi did connecting with ahimsa and satya the ideas of nonviolence and and truthfulness and that to really embrace those concepts means that we are seeing the harm that's being done in the world and we are speaking truth to power like that we can't avoid that if we are practicing yoga that it's an ethical requirement um, for us to speak out and speak up and um not just be complacent and want to be happy ourselves oh i know what i was going to say my thought that I left me it came back it went back to my work um, with people with HIV and AIDS. So when I was younger, I, I was not only an activist, I also worked in an AIDS hospice as a volunteer for a long time. And, and then, you know, I lost many friends too. So I spent quite a bit of time with people who were dying and, and I was really early, young, I was like in my early 20s. And so I think it's, I think it's um, that's where I kind of learned about spirituality. Like I feel like I was learning yoga and practicing yoga, but like real spirituality comes when you're facing death. And I think like, it's a very different kind of spirituality. It's very real (laughs) and it's like facing the, what you call like the, the, the mortality of the meat suit, you know, like the reality that we actually have this like mortal body, this mortal coil that's going to go. Um, I think it shifts our understanding and I actually, I think that's where I feel like there's some confusion in yoga as well. And that is around healing. And maybe that's another topic for a whole podcast, but I just feel like there's this misunderstanding about what healing means in yoga. And I get kind of caught up in that because I think that leads us down this road. um, that that, that ends up in spiritual bypassing because you know what, you can heal all you want, but your body's going to (laughs) die. And like, I always say like, in my trainings, I ask people, like, is death a failure? Is death a failure of healing? And I think, I think it's an important question because it has to do with our personal journey here in this body and what the goal is for that journey. And sometimes I think healing is put out as the goal of yoga. And and I would say this, especially of yoga therapy. Like, I, I, want, I want to call yoga therapists to, to, like, out on this a little bit, which is that I'm a yoga therapist, but I think we really have to be careful that we're not focusing on physical healing only because that's actually mm-hmm. not yoga, right? It's more complicated than that. It's much more subtle. And it's, it has, again, it goes back to that paradox that yeah, you can heal your physical body to a point, but it's going to go, it's, it's going to die. So like really what is happening on the deeper level? Like what is your journey? You know, what are you learning about yourself, about the world? And, and then actually how are you, how are you not only living the teachings, but actually living your um, kind of your own enlightenment, like whatever that looks like for you, like that kind of realization that you're having through your practice, how does that get embodied in the way you live your life? And to mm-hmm. me, that has, that has to be through social justice. Like there's no other form. It's service. Like that's, to me, yeah. service is the only form for that, that yoga offers. That's, that's service is like the expression of a personal like an expanded mind, like your mind can like open enough to embrace others and to embrace the suffering of other people and, and care for them. Yeah. I don't know, what do you think?
0: I love that. This was reminding me of um, at the Accessible Yoga Conference in St. Louis last year, uh, Rachel Knowles did a, a talk mm-hmm. on the Bhagavad Gita. And I remember she asked us a question, which was basically like, you know, if the battle is inevitable, what kind of warrior do you want to be? And right. that really stuck with me, you know, because I think that one of the things that, um, that maybe gets a lot of us stuck when it comes to our place in social justice or radicalizing our yoga practice so that we can create more equity or figuring out like, okay, there's a shift that needs to happen, but I don't know my place in it that, you know, it's easy to watch, like, you know, the footage of all of these uprisings and these protests. And like, I've had so many people reach out to me like, oh, I can't march in these protests. I'm high risk of getting COVID or I'm disabled. And this isn't set up for me or whatever. And then they feel like they don't have a place in things. But I feel like there are many different types of warriors. Like it doesn't always mean that you are on the front lines marching or fighting or actively like putting your body out there that We need warriors at many different levels. We need people who know how to manage their minds so that, like you said, they can like recognize that humanity and the suffering in others and figure out like, where can you serve? Like, what are your gifts? And maybe that's like a question that we can leave folks with is, you know, uh, I guess there's a, this saying of like, know your lane and stay in your lane, but like figuring out your lane is like worth is work worth doing. Figuring out, like, what are, the, what are the gifts and the talents and those, like, superpowers that you have, whether that's, you know, maybe you're a great writer, maybe you're somebody who can really sit with people while they are crying or grieving something. Maybe, you're, maybe you make food that really nourishes people. Like, there are many ways to get involved in social justice work that don't always look like marching or standing on a stage with a megaphone. And so I think, like that question that Rachel asked about, like if you're going, if you, if the fight is inevitable, what type of warrior are going to be? I think is really helpful, Um, especially for those of us who are trying to connect this activism to our yoga practice. I think is such a huge opportunity there, and I'm really grateful to be able to explore that with you on this podcast. Um, We're maybe we can just talk a little bit about what our plans are for this going forward.
1: Yeah, and I just, I just want to echo what you said again, because I just want to go back to the idea of service and to say that anyone, anyone can offer service, no matter where you are in your life, and how um, little access you have to to privilege, you can still offer service to yourself first, like service starts with self-care. So taking care of the body in a way that is appropriate to um, what it needs, that's service. And, that, and, and if you have a disability or chronic illness, that might be all of it that's your service it's like taking care of yourself taking yourself like feeding your body what it needs doing the right kind of exercise or asanas or whatever it is um you can be serving your body and then once your body feels like it's okay then you can turn that service outward so i don't yeah i i love that i think it's essential to say that there's no like hierarchy of service or of social justice um you know i see i see examples of service all the time from people who don't even know they're doing it. People that just like go out of their way to be kind or to take mm-hmm. care of other people or to be loving. To me, that's a beautiful example of service and social justice, actually. Anyway, yeah, yeah so let's talk about the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um so Jeevana and I basically will be doing this sometimes where we have a conversation about a topic in yoga. Um, that has to do with accessibility, equity, social justice, um, and sometimes we'll be talking to other people. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that, like the type of yeah, guests? Yeah, I mean, we're I,
1: invite. I I thought it would be fun to kind of do a combination of both. You know, like that some some episodes are just you and me because we like to talk to each other. <laughs> um, and. Then, and uh, and then other episodes, maybe one of us will interview a guest and we're hoping to do that about half the time. And I'm excited because there's so many incredible people out there doing amazing work. And you know, a lot of my work is trying to platform um, marginalized voices and support teachers that are yeah, doing that work and, and like finding new and exciting ways of um, making that connection that we keep talking about. Um, and that's also that what we'll be doing on our um, training platforms, offering trainings that you know really give yoga teachers and practitioners tools to to make that connection again between yoga, equity, accessibility, and social justice. Um, so that'll be the theme that we'll be talking about and exploring here and um, in the trainings.
0: Yeah. So we hope that this podcast and the Accessible Yoga Training School will be some resources that will help you feel a little less isolated if you're a teacher who's trying to do this work, especially in the age of COVID, which has separated us more than we usually are already. Um, We really want this to be a resource where you feel like you're part of a community of learners who are really stepping up to do this uh, work that's often uncomfortable and that requires us to be able to manage our minds and really be able to stay open to the experience of other people even when we even when that experience or like witnessing that makes us feel really uncomfortable or ashamed or guilty or whatever I'm hoping that through these conversations we can start to shift out of that space of like guilt or shame or confusion and into a more clear space where we can really see and hold opposing truths at the same time or Um. hold you know our understanding of the world and listening to other people's experience of that world and then being able to reconcile those things and use the tools of this practice to be able to make change so we wow. hope that we hope this will be helpful to you in those way
1: well you just said my favorite thing so so in a way again it goes back to this, the book i'm writing right now really the, the theme i i've come to is this idea of clear vision which in, in sanskrit's viveka and that's um maybe, and we can talk about it another episode in detail, but basically like you just said it so beautifully, like rather than being lost in the confusion that can come by working with your mind, like when you're really starting to work with your ego and stuff, it can be really hard and confusing and painful and you don't know where to turn. That, that's actually the theme of the yoga teachings. That's the theme of the Bhagavad Gita. Like Arjuna is confused. He doesn't know what to do. And really the teachings of the Gita are offered to, to help him see more clearly how to be, like what kind of warrior to be and how to step forward in the world. And the sutra is the same thing. Like, how do you work with your mind? Not just like get rid of your mind, but like, how do you use this incredible tool that you have of your mind? It's this incredibly powerful tool, but how do you use it, you know, for, for good, for yourself and for the world? You know, how do you become like more effective at what you're doing? And I, I love that goal like for us here. Like I love that goal is like trying to see more clearly and, 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 and like avoid the shame and fear. I think that actually are really covering and and like blocking our vision. You know, I think that's beautiful. And, and I would just say, yeah, like the people that we're going to bring on, like the guests that we've talked about so far and the people who are going to lead these trainings are people I've already, I'm learning from, like I'm still learning, like there's so much to learn. There's always more you know, yeah. we're always students. And I'm like, so excited. I learn all the time. And same like when I'm teaching, like, I always learn from my students, every single class. And it's not, I'm not just saying that, like, it's true. Like, there's actually, everyone's having different experiences. And it's so, it's an exciting opportunity to be open to that rather than feeling like, again, this is kind of a capitalist idea that like, I have to be the expert. And I have to be, mm-hmm. I have to know the answer. And I think really what I want to, what I'd like to do through this podcast is like destroy that idea. Just like, you don't have to be the expert. Like I'm not, I'm not an expert. You know, I'm, yeah. Oh, you are. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. Like exactly. I'm, I'm learning and, and, and that's, I'm an expert at learning stuff. Like that's what I want to do. I want to be an expert learner, explorer.
0: Yes. I think like, 100% the yoga practice has taught me that asking better questions and figuring out a way to stay in the inquiry and the, uh, well, Michelle Cassandra Johnson, who's one of my favorite teachers, says uh, one of the agreements whenever we come into her workshop is expect and accept non-closure. And that's been a big one for me and for so many of my students, um, like, since we've started working with it, because the world is not neat and tidy. Things are not always as simple as we would like them to be. And so having tools to really be with that non-closure, I think, is, is so huge. And so Jeevan and I don't have all the answers, but we like to learn to ask better questions. And so that's how I always know that An experience, a learning experience has been really transformational for me as if I leave with more questions than I came with, but maybe they're just a little bit better questions. And so I hope this podcast um, will be a place where we can ask some questions, maybe get some answers, but definitely get some better questions along the way. So thanks for joining us for the first episode. We're really looking forward to connecting with you more. And definitely go check out AccessibleYogaTraining.com where you can find all of the online training and courses and other study opportunities that we're working on for you with regards to social justice and equity and how your yoga practice can really be used to make change.
1: Great. Thank you. Thanks, Amber. See you later.
0: See ya. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcasts maiden voyage we're so excited to have you along for the ride be sure you check out everything we're up to on our website which you can find at online.accessibleyogatraining.com our website is where you can find our upcoming courses including the flagship accessible yoga training online as well as our debut course on the new accessible yoga training school platform Kelly Palmer's course, Race and Equity in Yoga, Disruption as a Practice. This is a course that helps you to get clear on what your roles, responsibilities, and what your work is when it comes to using your yoga practice to help create more justice more liberation, more freedom in the world. It really will help you to get out of a place of shame and confusion and identify clearly what your role is in systems of oppression and how you may be upholding them or helping to perpetuate them. Not so you can stay in a place of shame or fear, but so that you can take clear, direct, and decisive action to really make the change that you want to see in the world and to use your yoga practice to help create more justice, more freedom, more liberation for all. That's the goal, isn't it? We hope you'll check out the website and everything we're up to at the Accessible Yoga Training School over at online.accessibleyogatraining.com. See you there.